1: Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standing Room Only Podcast. Yes, I am your host, Ben Standig, and I cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic, which of course means after this Thursday, I mean, it's amazing I'm not like at a, at a bar just... Uh, tying one on, because today was quite the day. I think as we all know, those who paid attention throughout, I woke up at like 6.30 in the morning Chicago time, looked at my phone, I just randomly woke up, then looked at my phone, and there is a report from ESPN, a thorough, detailed report regarding Dan Snyder, uh, his his hold on this team, him trying to, well, let's just say, influence other owners. And the day went from there. Uh, It was a lot to get into. And I will, in fact, get into that on this podcast with one of the co-authors of that story, uh, Seth Wickersham from ESPN. I had a chance to talk to him on Thursday afternoon. I will play that uh, interview for you guys in just a few minutes. But then, of course, I was at a game tonight because this is why I'm in Chicago. The Commanders, you know, I don't even know what to say. They somehow won that game 12-7. Clearly, this is not a game that will be going to Canton uh, unless there's a, you know ugly win hall of fame because this could be up there. But they did find a way to pull it out. I'll get into some thoughts on that and the other news and notes of the day here on the Standard Room only podcast, which, of course, you can find on iTunes, Spotify, the Athletic app ad-free, or anywhere else you do your podcasting. I will have a story up, by the time you hear this, up on The Athletic about uh, my Thoughts on this game from a specific angle. David Aldridge was also with me in Chicago. He'll have a story up about Carson Wentz. So you can check all that on The Athletic. Subscribe there. You can still get the uh, subscription for a dollar a day. Just click on my article and you can subscribe there. Um, Where to begin? I was trying to think, like, what is the headline of the day, right? I mean, the newsiest thing is is the ESPN report that we'll get into. As I said in a few minutes, but the the, the basic gist for those who somehow didn't didn't, uh, ESPN did an interesting job of tying together a lot of the different storylines we've talked about throughout the last you know year two years whatever whether it's about the stadium whether it's about uh, Jason Wright's uh, status with the organization whether it's the acquisition of Carson Wentz. Ron Rivera, but a lot of it, of course, focused on Dan Snyder and specifically the notion that Dan Snyder has uh, found ways to dig up, quote, dirt, end quote, on his fellow owners in an attempt to get them to side with him, um, basically to not go against him, uh, fear of reprisal, fear of repercussions. We've talked about this to varying degrees over time, the idea that the other owners you know, don't want to necessarily set a precedent by kicking out one of their own, and part of that is also in this specific case the idea that Dan Snyder uh, wouldn't necessarily go quiet into the night. So um, that would seem to be the headline of the day. But the football is why we do why we do any of the things we do here, and the Commanders figured out a way to avoid a. A five-game losing streak with a 12-7 win. They somehow won a game despite going two of eleven on third down, despite Carson Wentz throwing for only ninety-nine yards by being out despite being outgained 392 to 214, despite only one touchdown, and despite the Bears completing their final pass of the day with the receiver Darnell Mooney landing on the goal line. And yet the commander still won because Mooney landed on the goal line and even hit the pylon. But the ball was outside of the goal line, didn't cross the plane. Great, deep, great tackle by Benjamin St. Just, who went up in the air with Mooney. And, and even though Mooney made the catch, was able to prevent him from getting in the end zone. Otherwise, uh, this team is one in five right now. And who knows what we're talking about going into this mini bye week. Um Kudos to the defense. Look, the Bears have a pretty, you know, terrible offense. But three times, but they did move the ball some against Washington for sure. Um, And three times they were inside the 10-yard line and yet came away with zero points. First time Justin Fields threw a ball that smacked F.A. O'Bada's helmet. And Jonathan Allen, of all people, came up with the interception, his first of his career. The next time the Bears... On like fourth and short, ran it uh, straight up the middle, got nowhere, right at the, right right outside the goal line. And then the third time was the last drive of the game. So it was a, definitely a bend, but don't break scenario for the defense. And then you had Brian Robinson on a day in which, like I said, Carson Wentz threw for less than 100 yards. Uh, they finally got some offense going at times with the run game. Brian Robinson, who is, if you didn't already figure this out, is clearly the lead running back. Um, he had 60 yards, but more importantly, scored the game winning touchdown um, in the fourth quarter. And that came two plays after the Bears muffed a punt. Uh, Trashway had a big game, um, but muffed the punt. Christian Holmes recovered it and then they scored the touchdown two plays later. Um, <clears throat> we'll talk more about the game and kind of the football side of this later in the week, I'll, I'll get somebody on from the beat to to join me. We've got, obviously, a little extra time because of the mini-bye week. Another potential headliner for this, for this day, Ron Rivera's rant after the game. And, you know, look, needless to say, it's been a long week for Ron Rivera. I think in my story for The Athletic, I, I wrote something like, this week has probably felt like a year for Rivera, right? Because it starts on Monday with, um, him making the quote quarterback end quote comment when asked about, um, why the commanders are lagging behind the other teams in the NFC East because he didn't elaborate. It led a lot of people to just think, and I understand why that he's talking about Carson Wentz, a guy who was constantly knocked, uh, you know, for his, for, for his limitations or whatever. Um, and by the way, I should mention Carson Wentz played this game with an ailing shoulder and then he jammed his fingers when he was uh, on a follow-through hitting a helmet, he's going to have an x-ray. But beyond that, he seems to think it was okay. And so that situation brought up a lot of uh, distractions and focus and and, and conversation throughout the league about the team, about Rivera, about what he's saying there. And even if you, you know, those like me who sort of buy that, he was trying to explain, in very inartfully and I think incorrectly, that the issue is that while he hasn't had a chance to build with a quarterback the way other teams in the division have, which, as we know, kind of really isn't the case either. I mean, Daniel Jones being the obvious example, not exactly a quarterback people are dying to build around. And it's also he's playing with a first year coach and somehow they are four and one in any event. All that's happening um, you know there's conversations about if they lose this game what does that mean for Rivera's job status I'm not saying that's a conversation being had in the building but I'm just saying that's obviously been discussed publicly a lot going on and, and Rivera really uh, well he was fired up about the win he was frustrated about a few things like including like 12 men on the field penalty twice on the defense but they got the win but when he was asked about The Dan Snyder report, and then uh, specifically about this part about whether who who wanted Carson Wentz. There was this notion in the the ESPN report that Dan Snyder wanted Wentz more than Rivera. Here's what Rivera had to say on all this uh, post game.
2: broadcast mentioned Dan Steiner and said, what the league would love is for him to solve the team one major problem around the league Obviously, that was his quote during the broadcast. Okay. So I'm wondering, I know obviously you didn't hear that because you're coaching, right. but how how throughout today, how did you hear that news? Did it affect you? Um, no, because the truth of the matter is it's not important to me. Yeah, what's important to me is the guys in the room, and that's something I've been trying to establish. You know, I'm, I'm trying to get beyond. All this stuff that's on the outside that's noise as far as I'm concerned. What I'm focusing on is the development of this football team. There's a group of young men in there that deserve better, okay, in terms of they should be acknowledged for what they've done, what they're doing. I don't want to get talking about something that I can't control anyways. I have no input. I have nothing to do with that. What I want to do is everything in that room. And that's what I wish we could just stay focused on. And it's difficult. It's hard. But for whatever reason, we're going to stick to what's interesting and that's playing football for our guys. Broad, you sound more fired up about, you've
1: given some answers in the past about this, but you seem more fired up now. Is it just something about the circumstances? the land? No, what's
2: important is these guys, okay? For the last couple of weeks, honestly, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak my mind for a second. But honestly, uh, it's been hard. It really has. You lose four games in a row and everybody wants to get you, you know, just get on you. And they've played their asses off. They have. They've played their asses off for everybody. They come out they show up. They work hard, all right? They don't complain, okay? They hear all this stuff, and they got to deal with it. I get that. And I respect them for that, because they're resilient. They come out. Everybody keeps wanting to say, I don't want anything to do with Carson. Well, bullshit. I'm the fucking guy that pulled out the sheets of paper, that looked at the analytics, that watched the tape in the freaking, when we were at Indianapolis. Okay? And that's what pisses me off, because the young man doesn't deserve to have that all the time. I'm sorry. I'm done. All
1: right. So, um we'll see you know in terms of the Snyder part of this we'll see what happens going forward I was told um first of all I believe that Rivera was the one who pushed for Wentz I thought that even before this rant from him um and I've heard from somebody I checked with somebody today who's uh Not somebody in the organization, but somebody who I I think would know things, told me that he had been told that Dan Snyder has stayed out of football operations largely uh, during Rivera's time. Now, going forward, will that still be the case? I think that, to me, is more of the question. Um, I spoke with his attorney, John Brownlee, today, and he told me that, you know, as far as he knows, Dan Snyder is under under no restrictions from uh, day-to-day operations, uh, which obviously, to some degree whether it was double secret probation or whatever, he was kind of on the sideline, um, to, you know, on purpose uh, based on uh, Roger Goodell. So we'll see what happens going forward with this, especially in light of the report from ESPN that was out there. Um, I, this wouldn't be the main headline, but it would be under normal circumstances, and that is the the report that William Jackson uh, supposedly has demanded a trade, specifically wanted to play for a team with a different system, i.e. he wants to be a, a team that uses more man and Washington more of his own team. Um, Jackson did not make the trip. He was declared out uh, technically with a back injury, but he, you know as we I think all can witness by now, he was benched uh, during the week five game against Tennessee. Um, the idea of playing that, you know, Washington doesn't play exclusively zone, but a lot of teams don't anymore. In fact, I'm sorry, exclusively man, but a lot of teams don't, I believe a stat I saw and I don't have it in front of me, uh, so I don't know who to credit, but basically I think it was that, that Washington through five weeks had played the 10th most, uh, amount of man. Um, that said, clearly it has not been working here for William Jackson. It's been a struggle. his basically his whole time and uh, we'll see if Washington actually does something before the November 1st trade deadline. And one thing to add on the Jackson situation, you know, obviously I checked around with sources after uh, NFL Network dropped that report. I don't know, when was that? Sometime Thursday morning. Um, kind of got a mixed bag of responses on it. Some some it was hard to pin down exactly... What what was taking place? I had one source close to the situation tell me that no trade request had been made. <clears throat> Regardless, Ron Rivera clearly didn't have an interest in discussing it post-game. We will have a chance to speak with the coach today, uh, uh, meaning uh, uh, Friday afternoon. So presumably it will come up again there. Um, like I said, more to discuss, big win, in just at least in the sense that it ends the four-game losing streak, keeps, you know, hope alive. But this offense is going to have to get a lot better before we're really talking about this team, uh, you know, making a a run here. But like I said, we'll talk more about this team later in the week. But right now, I want to get to my conversation with Seth Wickersham from ESPN. As I said, one of the co-authors of this uh, interesting story. Um, I think a lot of the details... I think a lot of the, the the headlines we've already kind of discussed or I've known, but there were some really interesting details, particularly about Jerry Jones. Let's get to that right now here on the Standard Groomly Podcast. All right. Uh, really appreciate our next guest joining us here. It's a busy day for him, and he made, made it a busy day for uh, uh, everybody on the Commander's Beat. Seth Wickersham with ESPN was uh, one of the authors on a new story, up on ESPN.com today about Dan Snyder, his ownership tactics, what o- what other owners are thinking about possibly ousting him, and a lot more detail about what goes on in this organization and within the league regarding Dan Snyder. Uh, Seth, I appreciate the time on a busy day. How are you?
0: I'm great. How are you?
1: Well, like, you know, as, as we were discussing before we started, it's, <laughs> you know, another day in commander's land. Uh, there's always... <laughs> It's always something I think I've just become numb to a degree at this point, but today was a day to, you know, perk up a bit because there was a lot of interesting information um, in the story that you guys put out today. Um, Just out of curiosity, how long have you guys, I mean, to a a degree, I imagine you've been working on this for could be a couple of years because that's how long this part of the Snyder story has gone on. But for how long did you guys kind of work on this? I think you said you, you interviewed roughly like 30 people for the story.
0: Yeah, it was off and on for a while. I mean, so there was three of us. It was Don Van Natta and Tisha Thompson and me. And we all have other things going on. So all of us were working on it off and on, but it really, really um, came into focus for us, uh, you know, the past couple months, I'd say. But, um, you know, it's like I said, it, there's just so much that's been going on. And Tisha lives in D.C., so she's been covering a lot of the things that have been going on with the team, the Ryan Vermillion saga, the stadium saga, some of the congressional things. And so um, it's hard to say exactly how long, but I'd say that we've been pretty locked in on it, um, you know, for the past two months or so at least. Right,
1: the the fact that I was when I was a kid, her Tisha Thompson's mother was a uh, big local reporter for one of the local news TV stations makes me feel incredibly old now that we're we're, we're, we're <laughs> discussing a story that she is writing. But that's another story. Um, <laughs> let me ask you this: Like I said, there is a ton of information here. I would encourage anybody, if by the time this is, you're, you're hearing this, you have not read it yet, I encourage you to do so. Uh, pack a lunch; it's a long piece, but I th- I found a lot of interesting details all the way through. Um. A lot of the details, of course, were also things we've all been discussing here at length um, over the course of the you know, last you know year or so. What, for you, kind of stands out in this piece as something that kind of helps maybe move the f- story forward and kind of sheds light onto what possibly could be coming next?
0: Well, I think there's a lot, and I think that the question that we wanted to answer um, was how he survived. Why is he still the owner of the team, given all the scandals and all the inquiries and all of the – the bad publicity um, and some of the business practices that are, you know, as an owner said, costing his fellow owners money. Why is Dan Snyder still the owner of the team? And um, I felt like that we were uniquely equipped to try to pursue that question. It's a hard, it's a hard question to answer because the people who ultimately decide it are the owners And, you know, some of the league executives and executives around the league have insight into it. And those people are hard to get. Um, Don Van Nat and I have done a lot of stories over the years that really focus on what's said in those private meetings and what owners think from, you know, some of the relocation stories like the Rams and the Chargers and the Raiders to some of the Anthem stuff, the inmates running the prison comment, obviously, from Bob McNair to, um. You know, when, remember Jerry Jones sued the NFL to try to block Roger Goodell's contract extension. So we really try to focus hard on those that arena, and it it's got a high degree of difficulty. But fortunately, we were given a lot of time to try to do it. And I think that we put together a story that really, I I think for the first time, gives a really deep and clear answer as to all the dynamics that are going on.
1: Yeah, for for for, for sure. And right off of the top, you know, you guys had a really good. Uh, quote here. The, the, the passage is that Snyder recently had told a close associate that he has gathered enough secrets to, quote, blow up, and quote, several NFL owners, the league office, and even Commissioner Roger Goodell. It goes on to say, quote, uh, this is from Snyder, quote, they can't F with me, he said privately. Um, good stuff <laughs> right off the bat. And like, I, I think, like, I've definitely heard, and I think others have rep- Sort of mentioned it in locally as well. The idea of what you know, you're saying, why aren't the league or other owners going after him? And this idea of there's like two there's two paths here. One is some owners just are afraid of a precedent they could be setting, and two that Dan Mm -hmm. Snyder would not go into the night, uh, you know, quietly or whatever that uh, Shakespeare line is, whatever that is. Uh, Is that kind of how ultimately, as as you went through this, kind of kind of the point for you that like that it does seem like Dan Snyder would retaliate and that maybe he has set himself up to have a information to, to do just that.
0: Well, I think that's the big question. And I think that it's the question that nobody wants to exactly find the answer to among the owners. Now, Dan Snyder has told people. They can't F with me. I know enough to blow up the league. He's told people that he's had executives and owners trailed by private investigators. That said, <laughs> He may not have actually had them trailed. And we get at this in the story. I think this is one of the most interesting things. He might be bluffing (laughs) and using it as kind of a scare tactic. And if that's the case, it's also working because a lot of the owners are worried about the precedent. And we get into that. They are, they are worried about what dominoes will fall. And as, as you know, covering the NFL, as long as you have that, the league likes to keep the status quo. Like they don't move quickly on anything unless there's a profit to be made immediately. (laughs) That case, they move really fast, but otherwise they don't. And I think that like, that's what they're grappling with when it comes to Dan Snyder. Now Dan Snyder's affinity for surveillance and private investigators is pretty well-documented at this point. Right. And, um, One of his law, you know, what they do is he doesn't commission private investigators. His lawyers commission them so that everything is kept attorney-client privilege. And one of his main law firms, Reed Smith, we have two sources with direct knowledge, tracked Rob Manfred when they were representing Alex Rodriguez in his case against Major League Baseball. Now, Reed Smith said in our story that they are unaware of any private investigator's following Goodell, executives, or owners. But there is a precedent for it. And that's the level of stakes that in this zero-sum game of billionaires that these guys are playing in.
1: Yeah, no, uh, without without a doubt. Now, so speaking of the billionaire owners, um, Jerry Jones, a lot of people Mm -hmm. think he basically is the guy that runs the league. I I did a story, Mm -hmm. um, NFL agent survey. do it every year for for the athletic and one of the questions i asked this year was who is the most powerful person in the league and while roger goodell was the winner a lot of people said cited jerry jones and that basically he's kind of running the show and to that end with snyder the when there was a snyder question in there the point was basically as long as jerry jones is there dan snyder is is good um which brings up to another interesting aspect of your story, that maybe that connection is not as tight as we all thought. We just saw them on the field in Dallas in week four uh, taking pregame photos. The commanders immediately put that photo up on, on, their, on their social media. But your reporting suggests that maybe Jerry Jones is not as in Dan's corner as previously
0: thought. Absolutely not. As a matter of fact, um, Jerry Jones knows that Dan Snyder has a file on him and someone close to jerry jones has said that dan lost jerry jones has lost him jerry jones himself has told dan snyder that he might not be able to protect him and to bring it full circle um we asked a representative for jerry jones if dan snyder had reached out to him about some of the stuff in our story because we've been talking with the commanders you know it was about a week before um we published and the spokesman for for Jerry Jones declined comment which I think is very revealing it's a subtle point but I think it's very revealing and you know is is Jerry Jones the most powerful owner in the NFL most powerful presence I don't know but he's very influential that's definitely that's not disputed at all he tends to get what he wants and the fact that Jerry Jones is angry with Dan Snyder I think is a is a big problem for Dan Snyder.
2: Yeah,
1: I, I would agree with that. I mean, my, my basic take throughout this time is I just don't see the owners either having the stomach or interest in voting out one of their own. But you're right. Jerry Jones is the kind of guy that can flip votes, And if he has gone the other way, then that would be pretty um, fascinating. Um, you mentioned that you guys have spoken with the organization. Um, the I, I got a, a quote from a spokesperson after the, your story came out. Let me just read it to you really quick. Um hmm Quote, it's hard to imagine a piece that is more categorically untrue and is clearly part of a well-funded two-year misinformation campaign to coerce the sale of the team, which will continue to be successful. And quote, uh, somebody texted me on the side and said that quote reads like it's a political campaign more than an NFL owner. And I have felt for a while that I'm covering a politics here. And I'm not to say Mm -hmm. that because I'm in D.C., but what do you make of 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 that uh, of that quote?
0: I think you mean unsuccessful, not successful.
1: <laughs> oh, can I say successful? Yes, uh, well, which will continue to be unsuccessful. Yes, that yes. would
0: be that would be some big breaking news in that statement if that the case. <laughs> yeah, 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 unsuccessful. Yes. Sorry. I mean, look, the first part of the quote is in our story. I mean, it's the same thing that the spokesperson, and I think, one of Snyder's law firms told us that they considered a lot of the stuff that we reported on to be categorically untrue. The second part, I have no idea what the spokesperson is talking about, and you'd have to ask the team for a follow up because I honestly have no clue what they're talking about.
1: Um. Fa- fa- fair enough. Um. L- 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 let me pivot to this, because the-, the basic focus for when people ask, what would it take to get Dan Snyder out? We, we always just mm-hmm. come back to takes 24 owners of the other 31 to, to vote him out. And we'll see what happens from there, whether, you know, things get tied up in courts and all that. We'll see. But you guys brought up another aspect of this, and that is the stadium and the funding. Mm-hmm. That comes with it. Now we all we've talked about it for for months here about how everything has fallen apart with D.C. with Maryland and then most notably Virginia when it seemed like that was a path that could go with with help from the state. Now all those things at the moment seem to be off the table. But in your story, you talk about how teams typically get some help from the league and the other owners mm-hmm. with with some funding, and we. This has been a big question: Is does Dan Snyder have the, the the finances to do any of these things? Particularly if he can't get help from the states, I've kind of assumed no. Especially after taking on those minor or buying out the mm-hmm. minority partners. Tell us what you had in that story about this aspect of, of whether the stadium funding could be the linchpin to putting a sort of Dan Snyder into a corner.
0: Okay, so I think this is really important. I'm glad you brought this up, and it takes a little bit to unpack, but owners within that circle they are galled at the state of the team in the district and the fact that like the stadium is falling apart fan you know it's just a morass with fans that was a great fan base and it irritates them that the team's business and commercial viability there is so poor even though the team releases numbers that that indicate progress that It costs them money like and and they are willing to forgive a lot of the cultural problems if he could get a stadium done. And Snyder knows that. And Snyder has long thought and told people that his silver bullets are a franchise quarterback in a new stadium. All right. So for a while, it looked like that Snyder in a unique American role might be going from testifying from Congress about cultural problems and sexual harassment and assault and financial improprieties alleged to meeting with governors and getting into a, the middle of a bidding war for public funds to be dedicated to build a new stadium there. That completely fell apart. There, are getting a stadium built is the hardest thing for an owner because most people are not like Stan Kroenke who can just write a check for the land and the stadium. And it's believed that Snyder, like most of his owners would need some public money and some help. And he the stadium right now is in a as you know like it's going nowhere he is too toxic and the fact that there's no solution in sight is something that some of the owners have talked about exploiting against him and the nfl has strict rules about how much debt owners can carry but when it comes to using to to making building a stadium they not only usually approve debt limit waivers but they loan owners 200 million dollars in what's called g4 funds and the owners have have talked about jamming him on those debt limit waivers to try to force a sale or maybe a permanent transfer into the um into his wife tanya's name and while you know people would say hey how much does that really matter still snyder you know it might be the best they can do because as he said he has no he is not going to sell the team so that's something that they've talked about, and it's one of the really – it might be easier to get 24 votes for them to jam him on debt limit waivers than it would be to vote him out.
1: Right, and that, and I think that's maybe sort of the point, right? Like if they truly decide they want to do this, like Roger Goodell is not putting this up for a vote if he doesn't believe he really, really, really has the votes, and he may never potentially get there just as a straight vote. But if this, this may be a way to sort of make this uh, – make this happen if they really wanted um to go that by the way i'm, I'm i i do not remember if this was in your story but i i reported earlier and i think others have as well that there is not at this point a planned vote on dan snyder at tuesday's uh, ownership meeting obviously they could change their mind but do you have any sense that like any action on any of this could come no soon I mean, or...
0: no now they might discuss him and discussing him has even been difficult like they don't do it very much, even in the closed door meetings, what are called the privilege meetings, which are only owners. And it's often because Tanya Snyder is there and they don't know how to have a conversation about the state of Washington if she's there. So it doesn't surprise me at all. They're not going to have a vote. They haven't planned a vote on him because if you read our story, it says in there that owners are unlikely to move until this Mary Jo White investigation commissioned by the league is set to come out. And Snyder's kind of counting on that. Like time is kind of his friend he sees. it. He wants to run out the clock. And so it doesn't surprise me at all that that leaks because that's essentially what we forecast in the story.
1: Yeah, no, uh, for, for sure. Uh, hypothetical for you here, since you've yeah. dug into this, the idea of the debt limit that he, and this is, like I said, a, a, it's been a question around here is like how much money, liquid money, or just in you know, general does Dan Snyder have, but that's like sort of not already tied in to this team we've even been asking this question just in terms of the roster because they have been going very after taking on carson wentz's contract have gone pretty light with adding anybody and there's been some wonder baby is this a, a a sign from the ownership saying hey kill out with spending but putting that part aside he owns. he and his family own 100 of the team what if like he takes the part that he bought from the minority partners previously sells it to somebody else now i don't know who this person would be but sells it to somebody else maybe they even say hey this other person if anything were to ever happen could be the first in line to take over could he do that then with that new fund with that new money be able to either at a minimum lower his debt or use that to actually move forward with a new stadium he already has the land and land over he doesn't he doesn't have to go do anything else with anybody else maryland has said they'll help to a degree so is that something that could potentially work
0: Potentially, but it's like stadiums are expensive and he's not talking about just building a stadium. He wants to have a version of like Patriot place, <laughs> you know, where there's surrounding shopping and everything that those things are expensive. And, you know, it would take a lot to try to get him there. So yeah, it's something he could do. He could also just not, he could also just say like, Hey, look, you owners are going to jam me on debt limit waivers. Fine. I'm just not going to build another stadium and let this thing continue to fall apart. Um, That's, Look, we have we have, an, we have a, an executive in the story who says that Dan Snyder is actually the most powerful owner in the NFL because these other owners are so skittish about him and unsure of what to do. And I think that there's a lot of truth to that.
1: Um, a couple last questions, then I'll let you get out of here. Uh, there's you mentioned some of the there's business reasons why the owners may may want him out because you know he's taken a franchise that was once you know one of the more storied ones in the league, and the fan base is obviously not happy these days. But what about competitive reasons if Washington stinks or just like they keep, they, you know, their ceiling is lower because of all of this stuff. It, by the way, for those who don't think it matters, it absolutely matters that these Dan Snyder controversies keep happening in terms of who they're allowed to hire or who they're able to hire in all aspects of the football side. It's absolutely connected. But, mm-hmm. for, but for competitive reasons, is there any – do you think any of these owners would say, yeah, I'd like to make more money, but we make a lot of money. I'd like this guy to continue to stink and this franchise to kind of go nowhere, so let's keep him around. Is there anything – you think? There's yeah, anything people, to that?
0: Joke, people joke about that, um, you know, that, hey, look, for people in the NFC East, it's not a bad thing to have Dan Snyder running that team. I don't know how serious that is over the long run, but it's definitely been something that people have joked about.
1: And then lastly, you guys talked about uh, in the story that Dan Snyder may have been more involved in the Carson Wentz trade mm-hmm. than previously reported. I mean, my sense has been that he kind of has been away from the football side of things. I think that may be potentially changing, but you seem to had people saying that was not the case, that this was a Dan Snyder move. Can you just kind of elaborate on that?
0: Well, it's a source with direct knowledge of it that says it was 100% a Dan Snyder move. Now, Ron Rivera told us through the team That it was his idea, but that he went to visit Dan and Tanya to talk to them about it, um, I believe in February. And so, um, you know, the fact that he was just talking to Dan about that, I think, is really interesting. And where Dan stands right now, it's really it's kind of one of the most interesting parts of the story, I think, that we don't get asked about a whole lot. Look, Roger Goodell has been very careful to say since July of 21, when he fined Dan $10 million, and said that he was stepping away from day-to-day operations, that he has not termed it as a suspension. He said he was stepping away, even though it's kind of a suspension. The team told us that Dan has no restrictions on him whatsoever, and he can do whatever he wants. The league, meanwhile, says that he's under active investigation by Mary Jo White, and the restrictions are still in place. Dan Snyder asked Roger Goodell if he could attend league meetings. Roger said no. So where dan stands how involved he is and um you know what his role is going forward i think are real big questions that are not only unanswered but they're in a state of disagreement between the league and the team
1: 100 percent. every time ron rivera has mentioned to us hey i you know we i I mentioned this to the snyders we're like well wait really because he's not supposed to be involved but that's,
0: uh, there was not a big, there was not a big market for Carson Wentz.
1: Right.
0: Oh no. Uh, correct yeah. me if I'm wrong. I think the commanders gave up more to get Carson Wentz than the Colts did to get Matt Ryan. Like, I think that they did. I'm not like, yeah, you can, you can fact check me on that, but like, oh, they did. all and, and remember Dan Snyder believes that all of his problems, he said to a confidant, all of my problems can be solved if I have a franchise quarterback. I think that like, I'm not saying that Ron Rivera was opposed to the deal but um, it bears all the markings of a classic Snyder deal.
1: A hundred percent. I've said before, I understand why they felt they had to get a quarterback and maybe Wentz was the best guy, but why, I don't understand why they had to pay sticker price full sticker price for a guy who clearly was not wanted in Indianapolis anymore. And that's, and that does kind of jive with what you're you're, um, you're, you're talking about. Um, well, Seth, look a great, uh, a really great story impressed by the, by by the amount of sourcing that you guys did, so I appreciate that, and I, I'm sure Commanders fans do as well. They're, everybody is, is he asking me; I can hear it in my ear. They're asking me to ask you one last thing: Do you think he ever gets forced out? Because ultimately, that's all this all the fans really cares about.
0: Um, I just don't know. I I wish that I could give you a great answer. That is the question. I I simply don't know. I wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me if they figure out a way for him to for Tanya to be the one running the team. But who knows, we'll see. <laughs> we will see.
1: All right, at Seth Wickersham on Twitter and as I mentioned in the introduction before I brought you in, you are uh, the author of the book It's Better to Be Feared The New England Patriots Dynasty and the Pursuit of Greatness. Literally, you've written about the <laughs> the best franchise in the league for the last 20 years and now today you guys have a story on Worst franchise probably in the league over the last 20 years. So you really are hitting all spectrums of the NFL.
0: Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, it just came out on paperback. It was funny. Yesterday was my one year anniversary of the book coming out as my book anniversary. So that was cool. And, you know, maybe some of your listeners will read it and, and it'll bring back memories of the 80s and early 90s Washington teams. Well, can, well, the Better days for sure.
1: Seth, I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for your time today.
0: Thanks, man.